2020 was one of the hottest years ever, and it brought to an More end the warmest decade ever. More than 15,000 scientists are sounding an alarm about climate change. They call it a Says warning. the effect of global warming is so severe, the region is actually shifting to They've a different climate. They've also found they had underestimated the rate of change, Ford meaning experts their predictions say that we have, have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. It 2020 was the hottest year on record. Changes are not made, and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Hello and welcome to My Green Podcast. I'm Jarvis Smith. I'm Casey Hill. And I'm Joe Wood. This is the show about living a sustainable, ethical life without drastically altering your lifestyle or blowing up your bank account. Everything from quality green products and where to get them. To easy changes you can make to help make the world a healthier place. Later in the show, we'll be joined by the blah, blah, blah guys. But first, let's have a look at some of the recent green news. So COP26 concluded last week in Glasgow. I mean, we touched on COP at the start of the conference um, on our last episode. But ahead of our chat with the blah, blah, blah guys, we'll dig into this a bit deeper. Um, We should review what was achieved and more importantly, what wasn't achieved. Yeah, I think that the big headline on the final day was that agreement on coal. Boris Johnson hailed it as the death knell for coal, but the agreement was watered down when China and India committed to phase down rather than phase out coal use. So that was disappointing considering coal is responsible for 40% of all emissions. Yeah, it's an interesting one, this, isn't it? Because, you know, industrial revolution, uh, which we are kind of, you know, as a country and most Western countries are kind of out the back end of now, these countries are just going through that evolution in their economies. So you can't really blame them for wanting to actually evolve um, and ask the, you know, the, the richer companies to stump up for the issues that have been caused for the planet. I do get it. Yeah, it was the director of, the, of climate at the World Resources Institute in India said that India's intervention reflects its lack of choices. It just doesn't really have any other choices. I mean, it's got to lift a whole, it's got to eradicate poverty and India relies on coal for 70% of its energy. So there's just no sort of clear, they, they don't use other fossil fuels. They don't use oil or gas. So how do you eradicate poverty? Well, not, to, not in any meaningful way, no. And I think over the next 20 years, its energy demand is expected to grow faster than any other country. Mm. So, you see, you don't think of uh, India using loads of coal, do you? No, really? Not, no, no. Th- I mean, if you, you know, those of you know, those of us that have been going to India, you know, for years, you, you know, you'd often get power cuts, you know, maybe half a dozen times through the day. Mm. So their energy systems are way behind. I mean, way behind ours. But there is a massive, massive opportunity for India, who are the masters of leapfrog, right, yeah. to to jump straight into renewables. I mean, I remember when we lived in India, Katie, when we set up My Green Pod from there, and me working with that that crazy guy that had that crazy vision of get uh, of India getting all its energy from solar. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it was it was a really comprehensive, brilliant plan. Yes, of course, it's going to need huge investment, but weren't India asking for a trillion dollars or pounds to go towards the investment to help them leapfrog this transition? India is the 
best place to have solar energy? It is. I mean, it, it, we're talking about energy independence here, aren't we? So the coal that India uses is India's and it it does use uh, um, oil and gas, but it has to spend, I think, over $100 billion each year on imports. So it's about energy security. It's about kind of how do you eradicate poverty? How do you lift people out of poverty? And how do you develop in a way that doesn't use coal and I think that watering down of the language, phasing down rather than phasing out, it's massively disappointing. It's disappointing it came at the 11th hour. Well, it made Alok Sharma cry. Yeah. So there we yeah. are. Well, they can't phase it out just like that. They need to replace it with something else. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, the, the, the point of it is, is it was supposed to be phased out and it went to phase down. And I think that was the big kick in the, the, kick in the nuts for everybody who was trying to... Well, then to... they need investment to do solar energy for the whole country. Yeah, and it's, you know, we, we, we're not even talking about China here. And, you know, China have got their own plan. Um, we, we know very, very little about China. But what China did do is they did commit to work with America um, in, in, in even bringing the, the context of fossil fuels into the agreement is the first time that's happened in, in history. So, you know, there has been some really interesting um, movements, um, but I think overall the can has been kicked down the road until next year. Well, there's some very positive news recently, though. Yes, the Environment Act was passed in Parliament. So this is the first environment bill that's been passed into law in England for 26 years so it's a it's a really big moment and it's a sh it's a bit of a shame it was overshadowed by COP26 which was in its last week when um, the act was given royal assent so it's not it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and campaigners have been picking it apart ever since it was passed into law but it, it will do and it gives everyone a proper framework for quite serious and and meaningful action really so under the act the government has got to set long-term targets to improve our water the air biodiversity and to also to reduce waste so i think the targets themselves will show how serious the government is are they going to stop spraying the the skies well we're, this is the thing we're not sure so we've got the framework now and, the, and there's what they've done is they've um they've got a new independent office for environmental protection which is going to hold the government and all public bodies to account on their um, environmental obligations. But whether that body is going to have any sort of teeth or whether it's going to bite remains to be seen. And what these targets are that the government actually sets also remains to be seen. So in theory, it's it's a great act. It does set out framework. It does set out some kind of possibility of action, if you like. And then what that action is remains. So really, we've got to just keep working very hard to make sure that the action is there. If, it, if it's used properly, it could be amazing because there are legally binding targets on species abundance for 2030. And that's going to help to reverse declines of iconic species like the hedgehog, the red squirrel, the water vole. And we'll be able to go much further than we've ever been able to go to clamp down on illegal deforestation, to protect, to protect rainforests. Yeah, I think we need to plant so many trees. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And if anybody wants to find out more detail about that, we do have a post on mygreenpod.com, but we'll also post it in the show notes. So brilliant. Very, very positive news. Yeah. 
And now it's time for our regular feature. Let's talk about six, baby. Six easy steps anyone can make to lead a more sustainable life. And today we look again at step five, what we put on our bodies. <laughs> and following on from last week's chat with Brett and Scott Staniland, we're looking at the clothes we wear. So, Joe, I mean, you've been re- repurposing and buying um, vintage and antique garments. Tell us about what you do with your wardrobe, because you're probably the one out of the three of us that goes out more often than me and Katie, who never really get to go out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I um, for a start, I seem to very rarely throw out my clothes. So, uh, um, and if I'm going to buy anything, I want to buy something that's going to last, not something that is going to be thrown away in five minutes. So, but I do love my vintage clothes. That is something I, I I've, and I've always been like that because my mum was a doll maker when I was a kid. So she always used to bring home uh, these beautiful Victorian nighties and I would and petticoats and I would wear the petticoats with a pair of boots and a sloppy jumper and yeah you know stuff like that so I've always loved vintage so for me there's so many clothes around I mean you can make beautiful outfits from from clothes you find in secondhand charity shops and mix it with something new yeah. to create your own personal style so you don't have to look like everybody else yeah, I love that. I mean, eBay, secondhand, which is another great aggregate site, which pulls in stuff from all of the uh, reuse sites and um, and charity shops. I mean, you've, you've absolutely nailed it there. What about, have you ever got into repurposing your own outfits? Like, do you ever, do you, do you, do you put a hand at, at tailoring or, you know, any, yeah. any dressmaking? Do I, you? Only, I only patched my jeans up. The other day did you yeah yeah i've <laughs> um, I've, I've had some jeans that I've, I've asked katie to patch and patch and patch i'll be honest it's not because i'm like that you know the male you know ass but it's because i actually can't sew i find it really really difficult and katie's oh. brilliant at it but these jeans are now beyond repair so i had to actually let them go <laughs> oh no yeah you see i love patching jeans and i patched ties the other day i patched leah's and then i thought oh well whilst i'm at it i better patch my own oh well, Joe, the kids are not mine had i have known i'd have sent them to you <laughs> <laughs> but i uh, i do um i do like to try and change outfits a bit you know I'll cut sleeves off and and mess around with them and unpick here and do you know just just try and so i don't have to buy new things all the time yeah well i do don't you, buy new things all the time do you think that you do you think fast fashion like you know the prime armies of the world and you know do you think they're going to go out of business i hope so i hope we can relearn how to dress you know we used to back in the day we used to buy a new suit and it lasted you for years now we seem to think that we have got to buy new clothes every six months. Ridiculous. Designers are just outrageous. And they don't just make a few, they make thousands and thousands and and then they burn their old stock. I know. I had this stat from Scott and uh, Brett that um, uh, there's something, obviously nearly 8 billion people on the planet and they make 10, these fashion labels make 10 items per person. 
So 80 billion item. I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrously insane, um, the, the fashion industry. So I'm a bit anti-fashion, but I love this new sustainable fashion movement that's going on. I mean, uh, look, there's, there's, there's hiring websites now. We can hire clothes to go to a you know, significant party or event. There's, there's um, that Vinted where you can get buy clothes that people don't wear anymore. You put it on Vinted and yeah. then th that's really such a great idea. Yeah. And, and I'm really into cosmic ordering. You know, Katie's really good at that as well. So is Vivi, actually, where you want something and you kind of manifest it. And then you walk past that charity shop and get a feeling, oh, I must pop in there. And you find what you were looking for. Like that, you know, whatever, whatever it was that you were kind of. So I'm really into that. I think it's a great cosmic thing to do. Yeah. I remember once going, I was going somewhere, oh, it was years ago, and I thought, I want to get something really different. And I walked into a charity shop, I was in America, and I found this coolest little black dress. It was long, though, uh, and it had little diamantes on it, and it had this great straps around the neck. I cut it off, made it in a little into a little short dress, and everybody was like where'd you get your dress from joe where did you get dress from yeah yes yeah you nailed it so let's just say very quickly what the last item of clothing was that we bought and for me it was a patagonia shirt that i found in a charity shop for 4.99 and i love it joe what was your last item of clothing you bought uh me i bought this great fake leather jacket oh nice like a suit jacket but Ooh. i bought it um i bought it online actually and I thought I need something that's not a coat and and not a jumper. So that, but I only bought that about three months ago. Okay. And Katie, what was the last item of clothing you bought for either for you or for the for the children? You know, you were there. It was that green batwing jumper. Oh yes. The charity shop. Yeah, only so. only on Friday. Only last week, in fact. My, within, that's my Christmas. Within five minutes of you wearing it, it got sicked on, and you had to change it. I remember exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool so some great options there ebay secondhand charity shops vintage or, or repurpose the clothes that you've already got yeah coming up next jarvis talks to today's very special guests the blah 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 guys Our guests today are Dave Knight, Jason Cook, and Jamie Wallace, three heroes of the green movement who we like to call the blah, blah, blah guys. Welcome to My Green Podcast, guys. Hi there. Hi. Hi, Jarvis. Hi, thanks for coming to join me. Gosh, it's a bit of a serendipitous moment kind of getting you on the podcast. It was only a matter of weeks ago that we happened to bump into each other charging our Teslas at the service station coming away from Glasgow. So thank you ever so much for coming back to join us. Really appreciate it. So I'm going to start with you, Dave. Um, we're going to look at COP26 as it's just finished. But first, can each of you quickly say how you're involved in the grief movement and what you took from COP26? 
Yeah, so I'm a sustainable development professional of 25 years, so I work a lot with big companies, but I'm also a lifelong environmental campaigner. And as such, I wanted to get up to COP26 and, you know, spread the word, make, make sure that people were seen and heard. Nice, nice. And what, 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 what did you take from it, from being up there? What was your kind of, what was the thing that really touched your heart? The amount of people that were there on the middle Saturday demonstrating and marching well over 100,000 people in the rain, you know, it's important stuff. People, the focus of attention across the globe was on Glasgow and there was a need for, for action and a need for clear plans to come out of it. And that really kind of caught my attention, how many people were there supporting the environment movement and demanding that actions happen. Love that, Dave. Thank you. And Jason, we're moving on to you. I mean, same question. Just tell us a bit about your, 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 your background and then, and then really, you know, tuning into your experience at COP. Yeah, thanks, Jarvis. So I've been involved in environmental things for, for quite a few years now. Um, and me and Dave sat down a while back and we decided that we wanted to go to COP last year and obviously got cancelled. So we said, no, we're definitely going to go to COP this year. And the, the one thing I, I we really wanted to go because we felt it was important to be to be part of that story, to to join with other activists um, from all over the world and let people know at COP who are doing the negotiations that there's there's a wide variety of people from all walks of life who are really really keen that we should make a better future for our climate and for our children and their children and so well I just wanted to go to COP and sort of like stand up and be counted really and be part of that moment in history. Yeah brilliant brilliant and what was your what was your um your heartfelt moment? I think I really gained a lot of inspiration just from meeting lots of other people. Sometimes sitting in your in your little town or your little village, you can feel a little bit isolated. Yeah. Um, and it's really great to go to these big events and feel reinvigorated by the energy that everybody else who's going along gives you and you give them. So, yeah, for me, it was that reinvigoration that, you know, everything that you hear on the press is not, you know, it's not actually what is really happening. There's a lot of people out there who are making individual choices to do things in a different way. And yeah. uh, meeting with those people and understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it, I found really inspiring. Yeah, the people power. It's funny you say that because I, I, I mean, I had three very different experiences at COP. And Jamie, I'm going to come to you with the same question, but it might be just quite nice to add a little bit of context. So I was in the blue zone which is where the kind of, you know, all the important people are supposed to be. And all I really got from that area, and it's a, ho a horrible thing to, to, to say, but there was a lot of showboating, there was a lot of posturing, and there was a lot of, look at me, aren't I fantastic, right? That's not a sweeping statement across the board, but that was the ma majority uh, feeling that I got. And then there were the hubs. There were these independent spaces all propped around Glasgow that were businesses and activists and, you know, people that are really driving the movement in sustainability. And I got such a warm hearted feeling, very, very different feeling from those places. And they, you know, they were a bit more out in the connected to, to, the, to the city, whereas, you know, the Blue Zone is completely isolated uh, in so many different ways. Um, and then you got the, the, the kind of the people on the street, you know, the youth, the indigenous, the, the people like you that just are really 
you know, really wanting change and not seeing it. So therefore you have to go out and protest and, and march and, you know, try and get noticed. So they were my three very, very different experiences. But I love the fact that we're focusing on the people power part. So, so Jamie, let's come to you. So a bit of background, first of all, you know, what, what, what you're doing for the movement. And then we'll talk about your experiences at, at, in Glasgow. Yeah, um, I, I worked in sort of environmental campaigning in one way or another for well, at least 25 years, actually worked for Friends of the Earth many years ago, and then via different jobs in private sector, public sector campaigning, social enterprises have always been engaged on, on sustainability and positive environmental outcomes. So when Dave said he was coming up to COP, I thought, yeah, must. I hadn't sort of planned to go along myself, but then Dave and, and Jason encouraged me to to get engaged and very glad I did because as, as they said, I was part of this sort of mass movement of people. And I think that was my biggest takeaway was this kind of sort of joyous and engaged mass movement of people walking through the streets of Glasgow in filthy weather in November, you know, it was raining and it was windy and yet a hundred thousand people turned out and then sort of watching this great stream of people into the distance and also seeing people sort of hanging out of windows from sort of tenement buildings as we went along. So, the, you know, the people of Glasgow were engaged with this as well. And I thought that was that was great to see, too. Yeah, lovely, lovely. And, you know, I know you've kind of touched upon, you know, the thing that touched your heart. But is there, is there any kind of resounding moment where you had an experience and you thought, wow, I'm seeing I'm seeing or, or feeling some something, some some change in the wind, or whatever it might be. Is there anything that really sticks out for you? I think it was just a sheer mass of people. I wasn't really expecting that because you know, as I said, it was it was you know, this is Scotland in November. It's 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 dark and it's miserable and it's cold and it was wet. Well, it's not always like that, but it was. On that, <laughs> it was on that day, and yet you know, we got to Kelvin Grove Park. And, you know, you got this sense that there was this huge mass of people who were congregating to 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 get their message heard to as, as well as they could to those delegates in the blue zone. Who, yeah. Yeah. It was difficult to judge. I did see a couple of delegates come out who, who were obviously crossing the, the route of the march. They did look at us in a slightly perplexed manner, I thought. Um, but I hope I hope it got got through loud and clear. That there was a great body of people out there trying to encourage them to go further and faster. I think there's no doubt it got it got the message across. I mean, you know, often uh, great leaders, including Boris Johnson, were talking about the marches and the people that were standing out in the cold, um, you know, uh, wanting change. So we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. And I think also, you know, before we talk about the the blah blah blah, you know, kind of campaign. Um, because, you know, clearly our listeners are going to be wondering, you know, who you three guys are and what, what this is all about. But could I just get a verdict from each of you about COP26? Like, was it an encouraging success or a disheartening failure? So, Jason, we'll start with you. Somewhere in the middle, I think. There were, there were some things to be encouraged by. There were some things to be disheartened by. So I, I kind of five out of ten for me. Okay, do you want to just very quickly name the high and the low for you? Um, I think it's good to see that people can still come together and despite their differences, make some plans uh, to, to move forward. But 
I don't think the plans they made us really solving the problem. Um, you know, we, we're not focusing, as David Attenborough said, on the the number. You know, the, the 414, which is now 415. That's the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, parts per million. They, they don't really seem to be focused on tangible goals that are driving that number down. And that, for me, is where we've got to focus our attention. And so I was disappointed that I don't really see things tied to to that directly to doing that. Great answer, Dave. Yeah, so to follow on from that, there was this recognition that we need this managed transition out of coal. Um, but we need really a time to full phase out with a date, not just a phase down. So it's a kind of, yes, it's good, but also not quite good enough. It's like you can't half do half cook the, the science and just negotiate with the science. It's like, it is what it is, and we need to either do it or not. And it wasn't kind of quick enough or enough. And coal is very important, of course, but what about oil and gas? You know, we need that managed transition out of that. So something like the non the, the, the fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty, which is endorsed by over a hundred Nobel laureates is trying to do that. So, you know, that, that was good, but not quite good enough. Um, the deforestation pledges, reversing, you know, ending and reversing deforestation by 2030, which includes a lot of funding and importantly had Brazil and Russia on board. That was great. You know, so there, there were some good things in that kind of collaborative approach. It's hard to get agreement, you know, at an individual level, let alone 195 plus nations to agree on anything. And this is as close as we have at the moment to global governance. You know, we need that global governance. These are global issues. We really need countries to step up and, you know, all agree because this is we're all in it together. Yeah, that's quite a positive response. I, I, I'm not sure I feel quite that positive about it. But Jamie, got some negatives as well. I can... <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Jamie. But thank, thank, thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've got very mixed emotions about it. I have to say, I want to try and cling on to the positives. But when you recognise that we've had 26 of these meetings and we've had 26 years of emissions going up, maybe with the odd pandemic blip where it came down a bit mm. and you, you've got a question you know if what, what's the sign of madness is doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting to get a different result um, and we haven't through COP I know we've got to cling on to some notion of global governance as a means to to getting action at a global level but something's something's not working and when you realize how much we've got to do in such a short space of time you know we've got to bend that emissions curve down sharply from now and none of the cops have succeeded in doing that mm. yeah, we, we've had you know it's good to get fossil fuels and coal mentioned in the pact as something we've got to fight but it doesn't feel that the cop is going to be the route to doing stuff with urgency um and i'm not quite sure what will uh but that's where i felt a bit disheartened by it yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm very much in your camp. I mean, having worked as long as we all have in this, you know, knowledgeably, uh, consciously living the experience of the times that we're in for, you know, over a decade, all of us, um, you do get to feel a bit disheartened um, when we know how quickly things need to change. No, so thank, thank you for that. I mean, just to put things into perspective for the leaders, uh, sorry, for the listeners, my apologies, but yes, for the leaders as well. Yeah. 
<laughs> Everything that's been agreed thus far is taking us on a temperature rise trajectory of 2.4 degrees. Now, everyone's talking about keep 1.5 alive. We're already at 1.2. By the middle of this century, we will be probably well over 1.5. And everything that's been agreed will take us to 2.4. The problem is, is that most people don't have any idea what happens when we go over the two degrees mark. And uh, we're all see, already seeing forest fires, floods, you know, volcanoes, um, tsunamis, you know, the whole thing that we've seen in the last 25 years. So of course, the, the problem is that most of that will get much, much, much worse. So that's why we've all got to do something. But my little soapbox rant is over. Um, I want to move on to this really, really beautiful thing that happened to you guys. So the blah, blah, blah campaign, right? For those of you that don't know, on the last day, I think it was, no, in fact, it was on the march, wasn't it? Was it on the Saturday that you got snapped? Yeah, Saturday. And and, and Sunday was when we had that iconic picture that um, went onto the BBC website and, and lots of Twitter. But it all started when we arrived at the, conference, uh, the march on Saturday, um, or even a little bit before then. I don't think any of us really expected i certainly didn't expect to get the amount of photographs <laughs> that happened during during the day and the whole weekend that, that wasn't really part of any vision that i personally had or when that when me and dave sat down and, and came up with this idea and this concept of taking greta's fantastic summation of everything that's happened in all the cops uh, she distilled 26 cops down into three words, blah, blah, blah. Shout out um, to Greta. Shout yeah, out to Greta. Yeah, shout out to Greta, definitely. Um, and when I, when I heard that and, and read her article, I thought, this is just fantastic. And I tried then with Dave to think about ways that we could take that blah, blah, blah and, and visualise it. We, we knew we didn't want to hold posters and banners because we'd done that in years gone by. We didn't want placards because it's going to be cold and wet and we just end up with cold hands. So, um, you know, we we tested out a few things and Dave came up with the idea. He said, oh, I've got some, I've got some um, hard hats. Uh, I've got two. And I said, well, I've got a third. I said, great, let's mount, let's cut some blahs out of wood and mount them on top of a hard hat. And at least if nothing else, the blahs will be high up in the sky and we've got a nice hat to keep us warm and dry and out of the rain and we can put our hands in our pockets. So that was kind of like where we decided <laughs> to put the blahs on the heads. It was very practical reasons. Um, nothing uh, more than that, really. <laughs> for those of for those listeners that haven't got a clue what we're talking about, we are going to uh, share an image and and some links to the media coverage that these guys got. There was just an iconic photograph taken, and actually on the news, and um, lots and lots and lots of people have been using the uh, the quote blah 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 in so many interviews post COP twenty six. I mean, people are calling it the cop out, you know, all kinds of all kinds of um, uh, jokey, jokey um, uh, um, links to the to the cop event. But blah, 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 I think has probably been the most significant um, thing for me. And, and so, look, let's talk a little bit about, you know, who approached you first and said, I want a picture and, and what transpired after that? How, what, what were the media saying to you when they were trying to get in contact with you and, 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 and get quotes from you and stuff? How, how did it all emerge? So the first, we, we, we kind of all met up in, in, in the park and almost immediately, well, in fact, it was just as soon as we, you know, we've we got a bus over from Edinburgh. We had people snapping us, just getting on the bus. 
uh, and on the bus. And then as soon as we were in the park in Glasgow um, and started to kind of move around a bit, it was just endless. And the press association interviewed us almost immediately. And then we had BBC and various different uh, press organisations um, that, were, that were wanting just to kind of ask us, so why blah, 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 you know. Um, and of course, we want action. And it is this great summation. And I really think that Greta, her inspiration is amazing. The Fridays for Future movement and also what I would say Extinction Rebellion have done is really change the dialogue and change the expectation. And you're always kind of now looking out for what those kind of movements are doing and what they're saying. And she did sum it up fantastically that, you know, there's a talk is cheap. We need to nail it down to verifiable actions and that's more complicated. So, you know, and it was we were very visible and people just kind of loved it. And so we couldn't move without getting snapped. And then we just kind of roamed around the crowds and uh, went up and down in terms of the march. And uh, yeah, it just continued all day, really, uh, which was great. Good coverage. And that's you know, we want to keep that attention on keep the attention on, on in particular during COP because we were after these actions. We really want to see actions and, you know, there's too much blah, blah, blah. We wanted to do something. We want, we want that kind of focus on outcomes and actions. Yeah, good. Um, my memory was, I think it was, was it Monday the 8th, which was the first Monday in the second week was when we bumped into each other and the BBC had used your photo um, and uh, actually quite a poignant uh, piece of uh, journalism. Um, and that was when I saw it and then and then happened to bump into you <laughs> at the first service station coming out of Glasgow, which was just awesome. You know, when you got the kind of, you know, the calls from the press and the, you know, the press association, who who, who did they want to speak to? And what, what question did they ask you? Like, what was the what was the thing that you remember most about it? I think really it was, it was very ad, ad hoc, Jarvis. You know, we were just three guys with silly words, well, with words written on top of a helmet wandering through the, the, the melee of everybody waiting to start the march. And we had no expectations that it was going to cause such um, a, a photographic uh, onslaught that it did. You know, we, we were joking, oh, we walked along and said, oh, people started saying, can we take a photograph? And we'd stop and one person would take a photograph and then there'd be 10 people taking a photograph. And what we joked and said, oh, well, we just keep track if we can about how many people have photographed us. And within five or 10 minutes, we'd, we'd literally, we'd lost count. Um, I'm not too sure if there was nothing else happening at the march at that point in time. And that's why we were so, so uh, under in, in demand. But um I think quite fortunate, really, that we we were there, and you know, the, as Dave said, you know, the BBC, Sky, ITV, we got out with the press association, um, and obviously the press association are carried by lots of independent media outlets. Just take their feed and their pictures and put them onto their news articles. So that really um, bumped up the level of publicity that mm. our campaign got purely because of a couple of ad hoc random meetings with people as we wandered through the through the um, melee of people gathering uh it, it kind of serendipity really um much in the same way as we met you at the service station yeah we yeah, made the daily mail which uh was quite <laughs> an achievement that's right it was the bbc and the daily mail that morning wasn't it oh yeah it was it was all over the place but it was great and they were asking you know why blah 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 and what are you seeking to achieve and why are you here and 
you know, we wanted to, to make sure we kept that focus, as I said before. So, um, but it was certainly a lot, lot more than we anticipated. And then on the Sunday, we repeated it and we were with the Friends of the Earth team, the international team, the Scottish team, who did an absolutely fine job. So big shout out to Friends of the Earth Scotland. Yep. And we were at the Stop Cambo uh, demonstration opposite the, uh, the, the, the arena, the green zone. Mm. And uh, that was where they, the press association had returned with a, a, a different photographer and took the, the silhouetted image with, that was used in, on the BBC on that day. So that day we were specifically talking about stopping the Cambo oil field development, which the government is conveniently saying, uh, you know, the decision is not in our hands. So on one hand, it's saying we're going to act on climate. And then on the other hand, it's continuing with oil exploration and development. You can't have both. Yeah. And so we were keen to highlight that and we were being interviewed about that as well on the Sunday. Yeah, brilliant. Bill. Well, I absolutely salute you guys. Well done for just, you know, having that vision. And, you know, it's amazing what can happen if people, you know, just kind of tie in their values with with a bit of action. You know, not everybody's going to go out and become part of Extinction Rebellion, but everybody can do something, right? Everybody can take a, a small, small action that actually has a, a significant impact if everybody takes those small steps. So we salute you. Thank you for joining us on, on My Green Pod. I don't know if you know, but every guest that we have on the show, we do ask the same question at the end. And we're going to start with Jamie because... Um, that just be a good place to start. So outside of work, how do you try to live a sustainable life? What are the <laughs> things that you do? Good question. Um, uh, I've almost given up flying altogether. I don't think I've flown for about eight years now. Um, eating less meat, uh, trying desperately to get my home carbon emissions down. I'm in a sort of old uh, property where that's getting tricky but I've sort of moved over to electrify as much as I possibly can so um yeah those are the key things I'm focusing on at the minute three fantastic things there eat less meat fly less and uh, and sorting out the energy uh, usage at home well done but I love those very very important and obviously insulation by the sounds of things as well possibly touch yeah. into that Jason for you uh, yeah, so I've been a vegetarian for 30 years, so I'm just carrying on doing that great thing and encouraging everybody I can to uh, you know, to the delights of vegetarianism. Um, I, we, early this year, I was fortunate enough to install an air source heat pump in my house, so we're now zero carbon for heating and hot water because we get our energy from um, good energy, so it's 100% renewable electricity. And the other thing I've done recently is I've divested all of my pension investments away from fossil fuel uh, funds. So just trying to, wherever I can, make sure that as my, my lifestyle is not um, consuming fossil fuels, um, where it be in investments in the house, like Jamie, I've given up flying. Um, I convert, I bought myself an electric bike. Um, yeah, so really just trying to minimize everything I can possibly do um, in my own personal ways. Because there's, a, there's a, an old saying about um, think global, act local, and you know, yeah. just trying to start with yourself. And I, I know a lot of companies try to put the pressure on to individuals to change. And I think individuals have to change, but we do need to reflect that back and make sure the corporations change at the same time. So 
Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. No, I love that. I, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast, but we have six things that we always go back to. It's what you put in your body, which you've all talked about, what you put on your body, which is, you know, often just about beauty products and creams and shampoos and things like that. And um, what you use in your home. So obviously that's, uh, you know, down to products, how you buy your energy, which you've mentioned, um, how you travel from A to B and how you go on holiday. So, you know, you, just in the two of you so far, we've nearly covered all those bits. And Dave, to you. Yeah, so as well as some of those things that Jason and Jamie have said, and I'm trying to do a lot of those and do do those, you know, I'm campaigning locally for active travel, um, making sure that people can easily, you know, whether they're three or 93, that they can cycle around or walk around the town where I live, uh, you know, through work, doing a lot of stuff through work, and also encouraging people to talk to people. So get the word out there make it clear with businesses that you do business with what you want and just make sure that you're asking people those questions so yeah talk to people yeah nice nice i love that it's a bit of bit of a- a- activism and, and campaigning i mean we can just talk to our family can't we and, and our friends and that you know the knock-on effect of that is huge but it sounds like you're doing a lot more than that brilliant now this is a quick fire round so yeah. i want one or two word answers so what one tip, and I know you've mentioned some of the brilliant things that you're doing, but what one tip could you give the audience to live more sustainably today? Jason? Switch electricity providers to 100% renewable tariff. Yeah, love that. Dave? Get the bike out of the shed. Yeah, nice, nice. Jamie? I think be a local activist. Ah, oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. You guys are an absolute inspiration. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you for getting on with us at such short notice. It's been a real pleasure. And we hope to, um, you know, we'll check back in with you in a few months time and see uh, see what's going on in your, in your world then. Thank you ever so much. That's it for another episode of My Green Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and gave some really useful tips on living ethically. If you did, please subscribe to My Green Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to give us a five-star rating so that others wanting a greener lifestyle can find us. Thank you to our guests, Dave, Jamie and Jason. Links to them are on the show notes. Follow us on at Joe Wood Official and at My Green Pod. And for more tips and the latest ethical news, go to mygreenpod.com or email us hello at mygreenpod.com. See you next time. See you next time. My Green Podcast was presented by Jarvis Smith, Katie Hill and Joe Wood. Produced by Mike Hansen for Pop People Productions. Music by The Phoenix Rose.